Good to see everybody again, and I'm so thankful for all of you that chose to be here with us today. Uh, before we get into the message, I just want to give you one more quick announcement, uh, because this one's important. This one's coming up. If you have a son or daughter in junior high, middle school age, um, on April 28th and 29th, our middle school department class is going to be taking a trip to the uh, Ken Ham's Noah's Ark Creation Museum. Uh, in, I believe it's in Kentucky. Is that right, Lindy? Yep, it's in Kentucky. Big trip. So it is coming up. They've been doing different fundraisers throughout the year to help uh, support the funds for that. Uh, we will be meeting here at the uh, school parking lot uh, Friday at 5 p.m. The van is going to leave at 5.15, and they will return Sunday at 6 p.m. So it's going to be a weekend trip. Uh, you'll need to bring a sack, lunch, or snacks for the ride, sleeping bag, or personal items. Uh, there is a deposit of $20 required by April 15th. And so if you are uh, a parent and you have children in that age and are planning on attending, you want to make sure to have that deposit in. The total cost of the trip is $95. And, uh, and so you will be uh, looking at uh, helping with those funds, the fundraiser funds to help offset the cost of that. You must be signed up registered by the 15th of April. That's coming up. So uh, you want to make sure, I believe that's tax day too, right? So two, two important days happening at the same time. So you want to make sure that all of your ducks are in a row for the 15th of April. Uh, if you're an adult and you're planning on coming, uh, either to accompany your child or help chaperone, you must also have provide your own transportation and pay the cost of your lodging and tickets to enter the museum if you plan on attending. So a lot of things to be prepared for. If you want more information about the trip or getting involved with that, please uh, see the VIP table on your way out or connect with Lindy Boyteen for she is uh, kind of help uh, spearheading that whole thing. Big thing. I think that's exciting. I wish I could go. I wanted to go to that. It's a giant boat in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it's going to be super cool, super awesome. Uh, we are in week three of our series, Fight for Your Life. This has been an eye-opening and an impactful series, I know, for even me, myself. And today, we are going to be talking about strongholds. Somebody say strongholds. Strongholds. Uh, to catch you up where we've been the last couple weeks, especially if you're new here today, week one, 
we awoke to the fact that we are in a fight every single minute of our lives. Paul uh, said to the church of Ephesus, we are not fighting against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in high places, against evil spirits in this dark world. We are at war, a spiritual war, every second of every day. And we talked about how in that war, the enemy's plan is to control us, to steal, kill, and destroy, to bring about our ultimate demise. Last week, in week two, we talked about open doors, that if you're a believer, you're a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit within you, the enemy does not have permission to enter into you or to just come into your life as he wants. He, you do not belong to him. You belong to Christ. Christ bought you with a high price, with his very own blood. And so in order for the enemy to have entrance into our lives and to uh, come in and work in our lives, we have to give him permission to do that. And we have the authority to open doors in our lives, granting him permission to come in and operate and bring about destruction, dysfunction, and all sorts of struggle. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about the mechanism of that destruction. And when he, we open those doors to the enemy, what they do, they come in and they begin to operate. They begin to create cycles to keep you stuck in different cycles of brokenness. And this is what strongholds are. They are the operation or the, the mechanism that the enemy uses to bring you down. Strongholds can be defined as this, as spiritual prisons that manifest as unrelenting mental or physical impairments that stifle faith and the quality of your life. This is what the enemy wants to do, to just bring in struggle, dysfunction, and ultimately to bring about your destruction. And strongholds, they tend to have a repeating pattern uh, that can be stronger at times than others. Sometimes you'll really be struggling with a certain stronghold. Other times, maybe not so much. They can come and go. But it is a repeating cycle of brokenness that you just can't seem to master or get over. Uh, like habitual sins or repeated behaviors or thought patterns in your life. You're constantly thinking negative, uh, negatively or constantly thinking uh, thoughts of depression or maybe you have a physical addiction that you just can't kick. Uh, it brings a general heaviness to your life. And these spiritual prisons, they form after a door has been opened to the demonic at one point in time, either by you through sins of omission or commission or, or sinful attitudes and actions, or even maybe something that was done in your family line long before you were ever even born. The Bible talks about generational curses. You know, you can look all through families and you see how families have histories of certain destructive behaviors or dysfunctions. These are generational curses that are opened up over a family line. You know, there might be a sin or some type of curse that is unresolved in your life, in your spiritual life, or in your family line that is permitting the demonic to work in your life. And the longer it goes unchallenged and the and, uh, longer it has a hold on your family or in your life, the spiritual force becomes stronger. The stronger the prison becomes, the more challenging it is to break free. And strongholds can be anything from anxiety or depression that prevents you from living and enjoying a normal life to even manifesting physically in addictions or infirmities of the body. And when a person is addicted, this is one of the most common strongholds that we can recognize. You see someone who's caught up in addiction, you can say, yeah, they're, they're almost, you know, without a doubt in a stronghold. When a person is addicted, the enemy uses the person's very own body against them. God has created a very unique but very special thing in the human body. 
and especially when it comes to our brain. And the enemy knows how the body works and how to use it against us. The body has what we call a reward system in the brain. There's a part of your brain that thrives on reward. God created us to enjoy his creation, to, to be pleased, to have pleasure by all that he's created. And sin has come in and corrupted that. But when, uh, when our brains are corrupted, when our brains are brought into addiction, something unique, unique happens inside of our bodies. Our brains become addicted to those pleasures, those sinful, destructive habits, uh, these things that, that come into our lives that bring dysfunction. And when we are addicted, our thought processes change, and we begin looking at our addiction not as a detriment to us, but as a pleasure, as a reward, causing us to crave that dysfunction more and more. And when the person who is addicted is triggered to use, the brain in the ventral tegmental part of the brain secretes a highly addictive chemical, neurochemical called dopamine. When dopamine hits the pleasure center of the brain, specifically the part that's called the prefrontal cortex, the part that is, uh, you use for reasoning, for making good choices and well-thought-out decisions, when dopamine hits the prefrontal cortex of the brain, it slows down your ability to reason well. It slows down your ability to uh, make good choices and to think through your decisions, which promotes you to continue to indulge in your addictions. Literally, your body begins to work against you in making good choices. And the more severe your addiction is, the greater the effect it has on your body. Uh, Charles Duhigg, in his book called The Power of Habit, I've been just finished this book. It's an incredible book if you've never read it. Uh, he reveals that studies show that addictions and habits can be so powerful that scientists have, have shown and neurologists have shown that to some extent they even take away some of your very own God-given free will. Because when the addiction is in play, when you're triggered to use, you literally go on the subconscious level into a type of autopilot, which means you're not even in control anymore. Your addiction is in control. And your addiction is what is causing you to make certain decisions. And that's why you feel like in your addiction, you can't stop. You can't let go of it. You might want to, but there's something that has taken over. The behavior or the thought pattern, because we can be addicted to our very own thoughts, can be so commonplace and difficult to change that the person begins to even associate their identity with their addiction or sinful behavior. Not just understanding that they are addicted to a certain substance or a thought process or pattern or behavior, but beginning to literally believe this is just who they are. This is who God created them to be. And they'll say things like, I am a drug addict. I am a porn addict. I am an alcoholic. I am just a large person and overweight. I am just a depressed person. I am just an anxious person. I am just a sex addict or homosexual or transsexual or transgender and the like. All of these strongholds begin to infiltrate or affect even our very own identities. And the truth is, is that is a lie. Because a person's identity is not determined by what they struggle with. It's determined by the very one who created them. If you are in Christ, your identity is in him and him alone. It's in nothing else. It's not in your sin. It's not in your past. It's not in your struggle, your habit, your addiction, or your stronghold. But the person in the stronghold has a difficult time believing that their struggle is not just part of who they are. 
And so they continue to believe the lie of the enemy that they can never be set free, giving power to the stronghold and thus the demonic force behind it. However severe strongholds are, strongholds aren't always so obvious to identify in your life, like addictions. Seth Taylor in his book, Feels Like Redemption, says this in regards to the strongholds in his own life. He says, for far too long, we've been told that we are at war with the most sacred drives that exist in our bodies. Our minds have been held captive to control and belief while our spirits have been held underwater by some unseen force powerless to do anything to push out one muffled scream after another in an attempt not to drown in a culture full of products, both religious and non-religious, that promise they will fill the hole in our core. I love that. It's a picture of even my very own uh, experience. He refers to strongholds as one long muffled scream. It's like screaming in a pillow. You're giving it all you have, but yet nothing really is coming about it. It's, you're exerting tons of energy, but nothing really is being accomplished. And it seems why this very feeling that the strongholds feel like one long muffled scream, it tends to be why many people give up on faith altogether. Because the typical religious experience, you know, provides all these tips and tricks to be set free, to be, you know, what God says will bring about an abundant life, like read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, 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 right? We know these songs that give us tips and tricks on how to walk in this freedom and how to walk in this abundant life. You know, pastors will say, just come to church, be there every time the doors are open, make sure you're giving your tithe in the offering plate. But that doesn't seem to bring freedom. When we walk through life wondering and questioning, saying things like, I give my 10% of my income to God, why do I still have financial problems? Or why do I still have marriage problems? I'm in church every Sunday. Why do I still have these addictions? I'm doing all the things that religion is telling me to do, but yet I'm still stuck in a stronghold. You see, it's because religious participation has no power. It has no power. That was a constant message of Jesus Christ. The religious leaders kept coming after Jesus and saying, why aren't you following our rules? And Jesus said, it's because I have a better way. Matter of fact, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Religious participation, participation is a false belief leading many people astray and into deeper and stronger strongholds. And so it leaves a person to feel guilty and ashamed for struggling. Even it causes them to doubt their very own salvation or feel like maybe something's just wrong with them. Maybe God can set everyone else free, but not me because I'm still struggling. And it makes them too afraid to say anything for fear of rejection or abandonment, even by the church. It leaves a person to feel and to suffer alone like many people end up just walking away and giving up altogether, saying, you know what, this just isn't working. This must not be true. I mean, if you think about it in your own life, what situation are you in right now that makes you feel like you're in one long muffled scream? One long muffled scream. You keep beating your head against it, but nothing seems to give. See, strongholds reveal issues that stem from deep pain that's been hidden buried, unresolved, or maybe even forgotten. Maybe something that happened a long time ago that you just can't remember. You may not even know why you're struggling. And many times, part of the enemy's scheme is to blind you to your strongholds. So you can't even come to grips with the fact that 
you have something wrong, that something's wrong, for you to just uh, continually live experiencing life in the depth of your brokenness. You see, denial is not just a river in Egypt. Wait for it. It'll hit you. And if you won't, it's because it's not really that funny. But anyways, it's not just a river in Egypt. Denial is, however, one of the most common stronghold tactics of our enemy to keep you stuck in a cycle of brokenness. Jesus said, if you remain in the truth, the truth will what? Set you free. The truth is what sets a person free. Denial is a willing rejection of the truth. You know you're wrong, but you just don't bring yourself to admit it. You can't. You can't bring yourself to say those words, I'm wrong. I'm not in the right. And if you can't admit you have a problem, you'll feel no need to try and change, keeping yourself trapped in your dysfunction. See, denial is a form of spiritual blindness. It's a stronghold in and of itself. And the scripture labels spiritual blindness in several ways. Jesus called it a dulled heart. Elsewhere, we have references to hearts of stone, a reprobate mind, or even spiritual bondage. And the enemy capitalizes on our blindness and the sin that works within us and leads us to medicate our pain with something else other than Christ or his Holy Spirit which always leads to more brokenness and dysfunction and causes us to get caught up in a never-ending cycle of guilt, shame, repent, repeat. Guilt, shame, repent, repeat. Beating our heads against the wall of the things that we wrestle with. Never experiencing true freedom. Because we never break free from the original cause, and that is the stronghold in our lives. Jesus told the woman at the well, he says, I am the living water. If you drink this water, you will never thirst. And if God's word is true, and Jesus is who he said he was, then that means freedom is a reality we can experience. Freedom from our strongholds. We can drink a water in which will cause us to never thirst. But the truth is that the reason why so many have been left to struggle is because people in the church have relied more on man's wisdom for counsel and have forgotten about the spiritual war altogether. I mean, if there isn't a pill to take, we don't know what to do. If there's not a doctor we can see, we don't know what to do. We just, I guess this is just how it is. But the reality is for us today, church, is there is freedom from every stronghold. The power of the devil was defeated at the cross. Christ's work was finished when he said, it is finished. And Jesus, when he left this world, he gave us his spirit for power, for love, and for self-control, to be his witnesses and to free all who are oppressed by the devil, even ourselves. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, this is our key verse today. This is a verse you need to memorize and get locked in your spirit. Paul tells the church of Corinth that we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. There is the plan. God has given us weapons to break down the strongholds. Human reasoning, that equals the mind. We talked about through the series that the mind and the soul are interchangeable, that we wrestle with, we knock down strongholds in our soul, in our minds, 
with the mighty weapons of God. False arguments we talked about last week. These are false beliefs. These are false ideas, things that the enemy gets us to believe to lead us into dysfunction and brokenness. We break down the strongholds in our soul. We break down the strongholds of false beliefs and false arguments. The battle we are fighting begins in our minds, our very own minds. It begins in the spiritual level. And thus the stronghold begins in the mind or in the soul and on the spiritual level because that is where the war begins. And the key to deliverance, the key to begin breaking free from strongholds begins right here, Paul says, by capturing rebellious thoughts and submitting them to be obedient to Christ. The battle is in the mind and how we think determines the way we live. Romans 12, 2, Paul says to the church of Rome, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the what? The way, say it out loud, you think. Transformation, deliverance, freedom begins in the mind. When your mind is out of alignment with the word of God, then your mind is trapped in strongholds of arguments and false belief. And that's how the enemy can cultivate his work in your life, in your soul, beginning to entrap you in these strongholds because your mind, your soul, your very being is being held down in falsehood. Freedom begins through the transformation of the mind. You know, sometimes God will deliver a person instantly from a stronghold. I've experienced that in my own life. But most of the time, it takes a process of awareness and inner healing. And most often, deliverance is a journey, not a one-time event. This is a journey. This is part of the sanctification process that we live in through the Holy Spirit, that as we live in Christ and live for Christ, the Holy Spirit continues to work in our lives, freeing us from this sinful nature and detachments of the world. And as Christians, as believers, last week we talked about how we have authority in Jesus. And if we walk around exercising our authority in the name of Jesus, but continue to wrestle with the same issues, then it might just be that there's some unrepentant sin linked to some emotional pain or generational curse still lingering around in our spirit or over our family. We've not either been made aware of it or we've forgotten about it, and it is keeping that door open to the demonic in your life. There's something still there that's holding you down or holding your family down. Strongholds can be often identified because they usually hold a pattern of attitudes or behaviors in our lives. And we're going to give you a few examples of this to kind of help you see maybe what some of the patterns are even in your own life. Maybe you're here today and you're, you're a believer in Christ and you're single, but you keep falling for the wrong person in relationships, in the opposite sex. And you continually engage in destructive behaviors. You want a godly spouse. You want to meet a godly person that you can have a godly relationship with. But when it comes down to it, you always choose the opposite of what you want. Giving in to what leaves you feeling broken and ashamed. Maybe you're a believer and for some reason you continually make poor choices with your finances, with your money. And you can't get out of poverty. You continually struggle to make ends meet. Maybe you're a believer and every time you put your addiction down out of guilt, it's not long before you pick it right back up again. You're a believer and you know your children need better uh, boundaries and discipline, but you get anxiety when it comes down to telling them no and following through with it. So you just enable them to continue in their rebellious behavior. 
You and your spouse are believers, but your marriage is a wreck, and no matter how hard both of you pray, it just doesn't seem to get better. You're a believer, but you're incredibly insecure around your peers. You feel constantly judged and not good enough. You have a debilitating fear, maybe uncontrolled anger, or maybe you have no respect for authority, and so submission is a dirty word in your vocabulary. Or you can't bring yourself to trust people and be vulnerable, so you're constantly pushing people away and keeping your distance and staying isolated. Why do we do those things? It's because there is an open door or a door was opened in your life at one time. There's unresolved pain. There is uh, unrepentant sin in some form that is continuing to operate in your life and empower the enemy to operate in your life. Somewhere your life is out of agreement with the word of God and you need to do some soul searching to figure out the source of that problem, to discover where that open door is. This is one of the reasons why Jesus sent us the Holy Spirit. Not just for comfort. We know the Spirit's called the comforter, but the Spirit didn't just come to comfort us as his children. He said the Spirit would come and convict the world of sin. He would lead us into all truth. He would speak of things that are only known from on high. So if we seek the Holy Spirit in our lives, he will reveal to us the source of our strongholds. He'll give us the awareness we need to take action and close the doors through a process of healing those open wounds. Now, as we come into alignment with the word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, he will give us the power to break free from those strongholds in the name of Jesus. And it's important that we understand that we get this deep down in our hearts, that there is nothing that the cross of Christ cannot overcome. There's nothing. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, this is what the word of God says. It says, with his own blood. Someone say his own blood. With his own blood blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured a redemption forever. Somebody ought to say amen at that. I mean, that's a hallelujah verse with his own blood. Let's read that together. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 12. Here it goes. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured a redemption forever. That is a verse of hope. Once and for all time, there needs to be no other sacrifice. He did it. His work is done. It is finished. It is complete. And by the shedding of his own blood, Jesus has redeemed us from the power of Satan, from the power of death. And so when we as believers in Christ, when we plead the blood of Christ, we are wielding a power that no sin can overcome, that no spirit can defeat, and no stronghold can withstand. In Mark chapter 3, verse 26 and 27, Jesus is talking about the enemy. He says, if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. Let me illustrate this further. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger. Someone who could tie him up and plunder his house. And Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is the one who is stronger. His blood gives us the power to bind Satan and plunder his house. The gates of hell, the power of death, none of it can defeat the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. But even if we plead the blood of Christ over our sin, we cast out evil spirits, we still need to close the door that's granting license to the spirits to operate in our lives in the first place. 
We can cast out spirits all day and every day by the blood of Christ, but if we don't get to the root of the problem, the door will stay open and continually welcome the spirits back in. Matthew 12, 43, this is Jesus speaking about spiritual uh, realities. In verse 43, he says, when an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest but finding none. Then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty, swept, and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. That will be the experience of this evil generation. Satan has no right to the body of a believer. He has no right to you. You're purchased with the blood of Christ. He may consider your body his home, but he is a squatter, not the owner. Jesus is the owner, and Jesus has hired you to be the manager of his property and has given you the authority to remove squatters at any time and every time, to remove them from the presence. And the goal of healing and deliverance isn't just to sweep the house clean for a time, but it's to close the doors to the enemy permanently, once and for all, and to fill the temple, which is our bodies, the temple of God is our bodies, to fill it with the Holy Spirit. So when spirits come back, they'll find that there's no more room in the inn. There's no place for them. They'll have to flee somewhere else as we walk immersed and filled up with the power and presence of Almighty God. This is where our faith meets life. This is where true believers will be separated from religious participants. Jesus, all through the scripture, makes a statement. He says, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. If you have ears to hear today, then hear. This isn't about physical hearing. This is about spiritual hearing. If you have ears to hear, then listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you today. Because you can continue to live in denial, to ignore the signs, to refuse to admit the truth about yourself so that your faith remains as comfortable as possible as you ride out this life. Or you can face the truth. You can face some really hard truths. Take this fight to the enemy, which begins with a repentant heart. John 10, 26 through 27, Jesus said, you don't believe me because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Denial is a form of unbelief. Jesus said, you don't believe me. Why? Because you're not my sheep. Let that sink in for a minute. You don't believe me. Why? Because you're not my sheep. Could it be that those who walk in spiritual denial are actually religious but are missing the main ingredient to a changed life? which is a relationship with Jesus and the presence of his Holy Spirit. What did Jesus say his sheep would be doing? He said they'd be following him, going where he was going, doing what he commanded them to do, carrying out the mission that Christ began when he started his ministry here on the earth. Luke 4, 18, Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. We are in the fight of our lives, in the lives 
for those in the church, the lives of those in our family, even the lives of those who are far from God are in the balance in this fight. And Jesus said his sheep, they're going to follow him. They're going to follow him. John chapter 14, verse 12 says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. What were his works? What was it that Jesus was doing? Well, he went about freeing those who were oppressed by the devil, proclaiming the truth that the kingdom of God had come among them. And when we look around at the church in this modern age, do we see the sheep doing the same works as the shepherd? Do you think the same works and greater? Or do we see sheep hanging around in the sheep pen, being spood fed and getting fat with apathy? I believe the latter is more accurate than the former, which means some who thought they were sheep really ain't sheep. And the enemy has been going around like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour completely unopposed. John 3.36 says, anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life, but anyone who doesn't obey the Son will, experience, will not experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. Those who do not obey, why would they obey? Why? Because they believe. Your life should reflect what you say you believe. If you believe the word of God is true, your life should be patterned after that belief. And I would say our lives are patterned after what we believe. They are. We do pattern our lives after what we believe. The question is not, are our lives patterned after what we believe? The question is, what is it that we believe? If you looked at your life today and could only answer this question based upon what you see you ask that question, what do I believe? And you can only answer it based upon what you see in your own life. I think most of us would be hanging our head in shame because what we read and what we see are two different things. James 2.14, James says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? The answer is no. The faith that many of us have grown up with Sad to say, even in my own life, is not really faith. It was religious knowledge and participation. And how do you know? It's because the sheep of God hear his voice. He knows them, and they follow him. They do the works that he did, living in obedience to the word and will of God, walking in freedom and working to set others free. And it's time, church, that we call ourselves back, back to the teachings of Christ, back to what living a Holy Spirit-filled life is all about, a life of victory over the enemy and proclaiming the good news that the kingdom of God has come. Do you believe the kingdom of God is here? It is here. It is here among us. Jesus said the kingdom of God resides within you if you believe. The kingdom is here. And we need to be preaching the kingdom of God. It's time we take back the war that we're in. We take back the ground that's been surrendered. We walk and work against and fight against the strongholds that have held us down, the strongholds in our lives and of those that we love, that we take up arms, not physical arms, but the divine weapons of God that are powerful enough to tear down every stronghold. It's time we begin fighting as the church of Jesus Christ. And today as we close, as we bring our service to a close, some of you today need to fall on your knees and weep over the many wasted years you have spent living in denial. 
granting license to the enemy in your life and in your family's life. You need to turn to God in repentance and give him your life and say, God, it is your way, not mine. You must increase and I must decrease. I am yours. Maybe even for the very first time with all sincerity to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Lord means he decides, not you. It means he reigns and not you. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of power, of love, and of self-control that brings a peace that passes all understanding, a comfort that has no end, and begin to redirect the course of your life to follow the shepherd. Praise God that the blood of Jesus is powerful enough to cleanse us from every sin, from all unrighteousness, and open the eyes to the truth so we can be set free. In 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18, Paul says to the church of Corinth, he says, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what, church? There's freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. And this is what God wants for each and every one of us today, to remove the veil from our eyes, fill us with His presence, and set us free from every stronghold to truly transform your life. And today, in order to call us back to remembrance, to remember why we do what we do, why we should be doing what we should be doing, and how it is we can be doing what we should be doing through the power of Jesus' name, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. Jesus said, as often as you eat of it, do this in remembrance of me. And remember my sacrifice. Remember the blood that was shed. Remember the body that was broken. Remember when the power of death and hell was defeated. Remember what you have in me. It's not a day of mourning. It's a day of rejoicing for the Father of Christ, for the follower of Christ. Today, we're going to give thanks for the body and the blood of Christ, the sacrifice that not only takes away our sins, but delivered us from the hands of the enemy that gave us authority and guaranteed us the victory. But just before we do this, we're going to have a time to respond to the Lord today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is speaking about the Lord's Supper to the church of Corinth. This is what he says. He says, in verse 26, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. He says, so anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. Could it be that much of the struggle that you face is because you've entered and participated at the Lord's table unworthily. And you've been reaping that judgment, those curses upon yourself because you have failed to examine your heart. You've been living in denial. You've rejected the truth of God. Verse 30, he says, this is why many of you are weak 
and sick, and some have even died. Could it be that the reason why we see anemic faith in weak churches is because we've not been living to honor the body and blood of Christ? But we have been eating and drinking unworthily. Verse 31, he says, if we would examine ourselves, we get honest, stop living in denial, we would not be judged by God in this way. And oh, how I don't want to be judged, but be blessed by our almighty God. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes in this place. Examine your heart Are you a true sheep of God? Is he really your Lord and Savior? Is it his way or your way? Is it what he wants or what you want? Are you willing to follow him no matter the cost or... You just want him to tag along so you feel good about yourself. Are you his sheep? His sheep hear his voice. He knows them and they follow him. They do his works and even greater. Are you his sheep? Examine your heart. If the answer is no today, then right now under the sound of my voice, You pray this prayer, and then you commit today to begin following the Lord no matter the cost. Pray right now, Father in heaven, forgive me of all my sin, the sin that I know I've committed, and the sins I've been unwilling to admit that I've committed. I place my hope in Jesus Christ. He is now my Lord and Savior. It's his way, not my way. I follow him. Today I'm committing to live to honor your word and your will. I receive the Holy Spirit into my heart because I'm yours now and forever. In Jesus' name. Every head bowed and every eye closed, no no one looking around. As we continue in an attitude of prayer, continue to examine your heart. If you are his sheep, have you been honoring the body and blood of Christ with your life? I would say in this ministry of spiritual warfare, in our lives and through interceding in the lives of others around us, most of us would have to say no, including myself. Have we been pattering our lives according to his word? I think many of us would have to say no, including myself, leaving us to remain trapped in strongholds and helpless to set others free. So just as I read and as Paul admonished the church, I admonish us today as we examine ourselves and as the band plays, I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite everyone to respond by coming down to the front and kneeling before God and confessing to God where you lack in faith, where you lack in belief, where you struggle with disobedience, where your strongholds are.
confess the strongholds in your life that you've not been able to overcome. Take that time to get your spirit and your soul back into alignment with the word of God. Commit to pursuing the relationship with Jesus through the power of his Holy Spirit. Pray against the strongholds in your life. Take authority over them by canceling their power in the blood in name of Jesus Christ. Declare with your mouth an end to their power and their hold over you today. Go to war over your strongholds through the body and blood of Christ. The work is done. He said it's finished. Victory is yours. It's time to go to war. Commit today. Begin taking your thoughts captive. Say, I'm not going to think that thought. I'm going to think according to the word of God. I'm not going to believe that falsehood. I'm going to trust in the truth of the almighty God. Take your thoughts captive. Choose today to begin to grow in your relationship with the Holy Spirit, your understanding of his word, and applying that faith in your everyday life to live for the honor of his body and blood. When we're done responding, when we're done praying, I ask that you just come down on your own, get some bread and some wine, Thank the Lord for it and eat at his table. And when everyone's come through and everyone is finished thanking God and eating at his table, we'll pray and be dismissed. Father in heaven, I thank you for the miracles that are transpiring today. God, I thank you for your word and your Holy Spirit. I thank you for the blood that you shed for us. I thank you for your body that was broken. And how, Father, through your sacrifice, we can be set free. Through your, the truth, we can be delivered. God, no more does the enemy have victory in our lives. No more does the church walk around anemic and weak faith. No more do we walk around with our heads hanging low because of the defeat that we continually experience. Today, we walk in boldness through the power of your Holy Spirit. Today, we walk filled with the powerful love of Jesus Christ in our hearts. Today, we declare that we are yours wholly and completely. God, I pray for those that got real with themselves and accepted you as their Lord and Savior and committed today to live after you now and forever. God, I pray that your spirit would fill them with a holy anointing, giving them boldness and strength to make the hard decisions that they're going to have to make to break free from their strongholds and live for your honor and glory. God, I pray that as we come to your table today, that you would bless us as we come in humble and repentant hearts. In Jesus' name.